Father, we thank you because we know you're with us every hour, that you never leave us. That, Jesus, your last words were, you'll be with us always to the very end of the age. So we thank you that you're with us by your Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in us, so that whenever we need you, whenever we have that angry thought, that lustful thought, whatever that thought is that that doesn't honor you, Whenever we're tempted to take action that we know is sin, that we can call on you and you're right there. So we thank you for your constant presence. We ask that even now your presence would lead us into your word. Jesus, you said these things for our benefit. You want us to wrestle with these difficult words this morning. And so help us wrestle with them. Help us think deeply about them and then apply them deeply. May we live the truth of this passage. Father, help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this is one of those passages that's it's hard to preach. It's probably hard to hear. So whenever you hear something that, that makes you kind of squirm a little bit on a, on a tough topic, I just want you to think, maybe we could write a worship song about tearing our eyes out. And then you'll smile a little bit and it'll all be okay, right? Because I was just picturing after Eric said that, you know, tear out my eyes, Lord. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't know how that would even go. But there's some great stuff there, isn't it? I don't know. But... Um, as I've said before, you know, we tackled a couple hard topics last year. My intention is not to say anything that kids shouldn't be hearing. Anything I would say, I'd want my kids to hear. Uh, so just so you know, going into that uh, tough topic, but it's an important one for the church. Um, I heard Josh McDowell talk about uh, the topic of pornography uh, last month, and he called it the number one issue facing the church. That's what he said. The number one issue facing the church in America today. So, um, and actually I have, uh, I'll start with a plug. I'd love for you to hear that message because I'm not going to preach that message today, okay? I'd love for you to go on YouTube and type in Founders Week 2015, Josh McDowell. I've got got that at the end of your notes too. You can see that there. Listen to it. It's about an hour long. Um, I listened to it uh, last month with my wife on a Sunday afternoon. By evening, I'm having a conversation with my kids at the dinner table because it's like one of those shake you up. You will be shaken by the end of it. I'll just say that. Um, Every year, Moody does a Founders Week, and they bring in speakers, and that was his topic this year that he wanted to talk about. And it's just, it's, it's angering, it's frustrating, it's all those good things you should feel hearing him talk about it. So anyway, I commend that to you. I will not preach his message, but I do have a few things at the end I want to say that he said, okay? All right, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we are on verse 27. Verse 27. Jesus says, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So let's set this up a little bit. 
uh, verse 27 is the commandment out of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Nothing wrong with that commandment. It's a great commandment. On the flip side of that commandment, we could say, number one, this is the overarching point of the whole message. You should be faithful to your spouse and to your God. Don't commit adultery has a flip side of the coin. And the flip side is you need to be faithful. Faithful to your spouse, faithful to your God. Now, the reason I add to your God is just the same reason we talked about last week. If you missed last week, you know, the, the issue with, with making peace with your neighbor is not just between you and your neighbors, between you and your neighbor and God. You can't separate God out of the equation, right? Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is like it. We want to compartmentalize it, but we can't. You can't say, well, I had a really hard week being faithful to my spouse, but I'm ready to worship God this morning. They are connected. You can't separate them. Which is why even when David sinned, he said to God, against you and you only have I sinned. So we recognize that there's a connection here. The Ten Commandments are not just about uh, loving neighbor well. They're about loving God well. So um, faithfulness is the overarching topic. I won't spend a lot of time on this one because I think you know what I mean. Many of you that are married, uh, you took vows of faithfulness. You know exactly what I'm talking about in the issue of sexuality. We're to be faithful to the person we marry. If we're not married, we're supposed to refrain. Think of it like this. I heard I heard one preacher say, sex and marriage, it's like a fire. Do you like fires in your house? Well, half of you might say, I don't want a house fire. Unless it's in the fireplace, then it's okay. Right? On the one hand, having a fire in your house is very dangerous and can burn the whole thing down and leave devastation. On the other hand, if it's in a fireplace and it's protected and you've got a poker and you've got a screen and everything else, it's good. It provides heat. This depends on the context. And so we say biblical sexuality is within marriage. Anything outside of marriage is a fire outside of a fireplace. It's dangerous. It's not safe to have a fire in your house. So that's what we're talking about, the overarching topic. Now, Jesus says, but I tell you, now you might want to know, what was the Jewish idea of not committing adultery? Uh, I don't have verses to show you on this. I've just read some, some scholarly, scholarly writings on this. And they say most of the time, if a Jewish rabbi is teaching about adultery, they're talking about it in terms of theft. You don't, you don't steal another person's spouse. That, that, that'd be, it's kind of like theft. But Jesus, of course, wants to take it much further than taking what's not yours, and he wants to bring it into the heart. So let's go to his point then. But I tell you, anyone who looks with lust has committed adultery in his heart. So number two is, adultery is, lust is adultery of the heart. That's number two. Lusting is adultery of the heart. God cares about our heart. Just like last week we said anger, right? If I'm angry at somebody, that's a heart issue and God cares about it. You can't go to court for what you feel and hear, you can't prove anything. But if God can see into the heart, then you've got trouble. Because what God sees is that you're just this many steps before the actual act of adultery. You're just 20 steps back or so. Maybe 10 steps back. But you're on the path. It's the same path towards physical adultery. So let's deal with the heart. It's a sin issue. 
give me a couple minutes here to talk about modesty. Because I think modesty is related to this in some ways when we talk about this. The idea of modesty, and, and Peter talks about this in his epistle, um, talks, he asks women to dress modestly. He asks women to dress themselves with the good deeds that come from, from, a, from your heart. Okay, but to dress modestly. Now, there's a couple pieces of, I feel like, we'll call it worldly wisdom. Okay? Worldly wisdom. In other words, these are things that people would say are true, but they don't come out of the Bible, they come out of the world. And so we should judge them according to the Bible. You know, you'll hear things like, on the one hand, you might hear someone who's not a Christian say, I dress immodestly because that's the way to attract a man. There's a power there in the way that I dress. Over here, I think I've heard more Christians say this. It's okay to dress a little immodest. I won't even call it immodest. Maybe showing off just a little bit. But it's okay because men should learn to control themselves. They should control themselves. So I should be able to wear what I want to wear. They're the problem. And then you've got men in the middle of it saying things like worldly wisdom like, well, I can't help the way she dresses. I, I, they're doing it to me. I'm, I'm just walking around. I can't help what I see. What am I supposed to do but give in? A lot of worldly wisdom on the topic of modesty and, and lust as it relates to what you wear. Um, I just think it would be much more helpful to say, if you're supposed to love your neighbor, that means men have a responsibility to women and women have a responsibility to men. Men, your responsibility is, I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm not going to look. And, and if I'm seeing something that's causing me to think things, I will look away. I will walk away. I will get my phone out and start looking at it. You know, whatever, whatever distraction you need, even if you look like you're antisocial, you, you do what you need to do on your part to respect this woman. Treat her like a sister in Christ. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's the respect God wants us to have for each other. And if she's not a Christian, you treat her just as an image bearer. She bears the image of God. She's worthwhile, infinite value. So you treat her that way, and you look away, you try to change your thoughts, you pray about changing your thoughts, and you ask God to help you. You owe that to her. She's your neighbor. You must love her. But on the other hand, for, for ladies that say, men just should just need to control themselves, I can't help what I'm wearing, you know, I mean, the styles are the styles, and I'm just going to go with that, I'd say to you, what do you owe the man? How do you love him? By considering what you wear. And, and, and knowing that guys tend to be visual, so how can, I, how can I love them well in what I wear? Now, I know that could be, that could be um, I'm sure people could use that statement and say, well, that means you've got to dress you know, like you're from the 1800s, you know? and there's no modern styles whatsoever. Look, I, I'm not trying to take this to an illogical conclusion. I'm just saying some things reveal lots of body parts and some things don't. So be thoughtful about it. If you're thinking about it, you probably, you're probably winning the battle there. And men, if you're thinking about it as you walk around, I'm hoping you're winning the battle too. But if you think about each other as you do this, it would be very good and God-honoring, Christ-exalting. Um, I heard a, a, 
When I was a youth intern at Grace Presbyterian Church, that's the church I grew up in, I interned there, and uh, I remember it was the last day of summer camp. We were in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and it was kind of like a sharing time, an open sharing time. And one of the seniors got up, and he shared to his friends. And he addressed specifically the girls that he was friends with. Not dating, just, just friends with. And he said, and he had such a hard time saying it. He, he, he stuttered over his words, he, he was, and people were kind of giggling, you know. And I remember the youth pastor standing up saying, let him talk, this is important that you hear this. So now everybody tries to stop from laughing. And, and he says, I just want to thank you that it feels to me like you always tried to dress appropriately. And that was helpful to me. So thank you. And I was like, that is a brave young man to be able to say that to his friends. So I'm saying, I'm not saying we need to have a church dress code. I have had people ask me about that, not here, but it would be nice to have a dress code, wouldn't it? Like if you talk about modesty, you might as well put some stuff on the screen, like here's what you can and can't wear. You know, have a list. We could write it down and do it. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm only saying that I believe we're pleasing Christ if we ask the question, what is a pro- what would be good and what would not be good? And try to follow those lines of thought instead of saying, What's in style and what's not in style? I'll do it that way. Let's take responsibility for each other. Men for women and women for men. Okay, I think that's all I'll stop and say there. And if any of you ladies misheard me, I'll say this one more time. I know you can't control what a guy thinks. Okay? That's not fair. You can only help. You can't control them, right? So the burden is not on you. I'm just saying, how do we help each other? Okay. Um, I want to keep going here. So we see that lusting is adultery of the heart, and we want to deal with that. We want to do something about that. Um, Look at the next verse. If your right eye causes you to stumble... Gouge it out and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay. Oh, we'll see the last one too. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better, better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Let me be sarcastic for a second. Some of you will think I'm being serious when I say this. Jesus must not care about the psychological health of people today, right? The 21st century Christian, you know, or the 1st century Jew. Here he is telling them, if you lust after somebody, you better be careful because you're going to go to hell. You know? That's not the way we preach today. That's not nice, telling someone they're going to go to hell for lusting. Jesus, don't you care about my self-esteem? My struggles as a man? Or are you telling me something that I need to hear even if it hurts? Even if it hurts. It's still true. I kind of like read Jesus and I was thinking about last week and this week and it's like last week Jesus was talking about hellfire if you were angry at somebody, you know, you don't want to make peace. And this year he's talking about lusting and going to hell. Is like, come on, you know, like 
Isn't there some lighter form of punishment you could mention besides this? But he goes for it. And with good reason. So let's say number three. Number three. What we do in the body has eternal consequences. What we do in the body has eternal consequences. Um, the body's important. Can we bring up the Romans passage? There are so many verses in the Bible that talk about your soma, that's Greek for body. So many verses that have to do with your physical body. If anyone thinks your physical body doesn't matter to God and what you do in the body, he turns a blind eye to, that's all over. I could have done like a whole half an hour of these, but I'm only going to do one. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body as sin, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. I'm offering my body as God's instrument. I'm not listening to the sin. I'm listening to what God tells me to do with this. This is just a little bit off topic. Boy, I should save this for when we talk in a couple of weeks. Oh, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I was really disturbed when I, I saw this. Um, this person was making a phone call into a TV show to a famous Christian that I'm not going to name. But if I did name him, you'd know who I was talking about. I guarantee it. And this Christian man was calling. I say to he's Christian. I don't know his heart. But he was calling a religious program, so here we go. And he said, my wife either had dementia or Alzheimer's and she doesn't know who I am anymore. So I'm divorcing her. I want to date. I want to find a new love. She doesn't know who I am. Now, a little bit of opinion here, but as I read the scripture, you've committed yourself to your spouse, body, soul, and spirit. Body to body. Body's important, you know? On your wedding night, body is important. We understand the body thing, all right? The person that he called into said, this famous Christian person said, I understand what you're saying. And, and dementia or Alzheimer's is a terrible disease. And I think you should be free to divorce. I'm all, no biblical justification for saying that. He just said it. His own opinion. So I'm going to get a little bit of opinion here. But I read so many verses about the body and being committed to the Lord in your body. And, and your body doesn't belong to you alone, but the body also belongs to your spouse. That's in 1 Corinthians, right? So if my body doesn't belong to me, but it also belongs to my wife, then if my wife loses her mind, does that negate my vows? Does that, does that erase what I'm supposed to do with my body for her sake? The Bible doesn't address it, but I think it says enough about body that we had to question that kind of a response because the body matters to God. So Jesus says, what you do in the body has eternal consequences. Again, he's bringing up hell. It's uncomfortable to say that, but I think it's helpful to say that because what it's telling us is, and I've often thought of lust in terms like this. 
I'm an eternal security kind of guy. I don't know where you are. I believe that you're once saved, always saved. That you can never fall away from salvation. I'm not going to defend that this morning, but I believe that it's true. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And we could, I could go on other verses. But no matter what side you fall on, on that debate, Hebrews is a sobering word. Can we bring up the Hebrews passage? See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay, so he's talking to brothers in Christ turning away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Is it possible that I could become so hard to sin that I just walk away from God? And the answer in Hebrews 3 is, oh yeah. There, there, there's no opinion here. This, this is fact. You could have a sinful, unbelieving heart and you were formerly called a brother in Christ and you could just walk away from it. And lust will put you on that path when you don't deal with it. I know nobody is perfect. I understand that. But when you just walk in it and you don't care and you just do it, I'm walking this path away from my Savior. And that's where the path leads. And that ought to be sobering to us. It's like Jesus says in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. What? My love for God will grow cold? Like, do you understand that, that lust, adultery of the heart, has the power to lead you away from God? It has the power to lead you to hell. Whether you believe that you're going to lose your salvation or whether you believe... I mean, in my, in my, the way I would talk about this is lust may be that factor that shows that you were never saved to begin with. That this was just some sort of church thing that you were doing. But really your first allegiance is to that pleasure. Now, I know... I know that there's temporal effects. If, if, so if we're talking about pornography for a second here, there are physical effects of that sin. Physical. Jesus isn't talking about the physical. He's talking about the soul. He's talking about the spirit going to a place that's terrible, that's punishment. Uh, the website uh, Fight the New Drug categorizes the effects of pornography in a person's life into three. The first is the brain. You get addicted to it. Your brain produces dopamine, which is a, a chemical that's produced w w when you're on drugs. So this really is an addiction of the brain. And, and, and by looking at it over and over again, you are changing your brain because of it. You look at the research, you, you look at it for yourself. I gave you the website, you can check it out. But it's real. The effects on your brain are real. Number two, they say, it impacts your love. The love for the person in your life. Because you stop looking at them the same way. The, the intimacy you can have with them has changed. And there's more on that as well. The third one they say is the world. The consequences impact the world. 
it's naive to think that of all the videos and the pictures out there, the fairy tale that the producers of this want to tell you, the fairy tale is all these people want to be in the industry. They all want to do what they're doing. They're getting paid well for it. So this is what they want to do with their lives. The reality is if you read the stories from the industry, I mean, they're making billions of dollars. Yeah, they're making a huge profit. But the, but the sex trafficking that goes on, the things that happen to children, the things that people are coerced into doing, the deep regret that comes later, all of these are documented things. You could easily find them at one of the websites I've given you at the end of this. You can see what people are saying about the industry and the abuse that it does, in particular to women, not limiting men to that too. But you can read it. You can see it. It's real. It affects our world in deep ways. And you're contributing to it. Jesus just said, you'll end up being in hell. And what consequence is worse than that? The funny thing is, I think, it's not funny, sorry. The ironic thing is, for Christians... I mean, have you had this conversation with yourself? Well, I'm already forgiven, so what's a little bit? What do you think Jesus would say if you told him that? Well, you already forgave me, so... You don't think the Jewish people knew about forgiveness when Jesus said hell for those that do this? It's a wrestling thing. It's a wrestling thing for someone who believes in eternal security. That no sin would master you. Fourthly, and lastly, out of this whole thing, um, I love the, was that New Living Translation, Eric, that you put on the wall earlier? New Living? Um, great in, great interpretation in that, in that verse, if you caught it. Um, it said, your eye, your good eye, and your hand, your strong hand, cut it off, pluck it out, you know. Um, you see the way Jesus talks about it here. Um, he says, if your right hand causes you to stumble. So right hand, that's a, that's a jump of interpretation the New Living Translation does. Basically, when Jesus says your right hand, they're saying, yeah, your strong hand, your good hand, the hand you wouldn't want to lose, right? And your eye, your good eye, the eye you don't want to lose. If you had one good one and one not so good one, this is the one you don't want to lose. Um, Some Christians throughout history have taken this very seriously, and they've, there's been a removal of body parts. Um, Jesus, I think you have to read this and go, does he mean that? I mean, we have to take him seriously. Does he mean that? Really pluck it out and cut it off? And uh, Let's say this. I've said it before to you. Rabbis love hyperbole, exaggeration. They like to make a point by overstating it. So cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. See, this would make no logical sense, and let's just make sure you know what I'm saying here. It makes no logical sense to do either of those things because if, if this is a heart issue, if it's a heart issue, then cutting off your hand and plucking out your eye won't help you, right? If you're thinking about it, you've got to remove your brain, right? So that doesn't work, you know? That doesn't work. What he's trying to do, though, 
is say, these are the things that often offend us in this area of lust, the hand and the eye. What he wants to say to you is, you need to take drastic measures to deal with this sin. Number four is, you need to take drastic measures, drastic measures to protect your heart and your body from sexual sin. Joseph is the example here. Old Testament Joseph, right? Uh, He's serving Potiphar, uh, one of the head servants, and, and the wife says, come to bed with me, and he says, I can't do this. And so Genesis says he wouldn't even try to be in the same room with her, right? He stayed away from her. And then one day she grabbed his garment and, and, and asked him again, grabbing his garment. He leaves his garment there and runs out of there. So what does that mean? It means sometimes all you need to battle temptation is a good pair of tennis shoes. You know? Run out of there. Get out of there. Don't you feel foolish? Well, yeah, you feel foolish running out of a room, you know? Um, do you feel foolish when you're... Uh, walking around and you see things you don't want to be looking at or thinking, and so you're walking down like this? I often saw my dad walking around like this, you know? (laughs) I thought, what is he doing? Well, now I understand it a little better. You look a little silly. God honors you because of your heart that wants not to look at certain things. You take drastic measures. How far would you go if you're not going to cut off your hand, will you do everything up to that point? Let's put it that way. Will you do everything up to that point? You know, the, you ever saw the movie, um, which one is it? Uh, Fireproof, where he takes his computer and he's hitting it with a baseball bat, you know, and the neighbors are looking at him like he's crazy. Have you seen that part, you know? Um, many of us work with computers. That, that, that's how we work. What are you going to do to prevent yourself from going there? I've given you resources at the end of this. I would suggest that you put some accountability software on every single internet-connected device you have. I'd say you stop getting movies that, that have this material in them. I'd say you cut it off. Go as far as you possibly can. You know what? Nobody in this room is stupid. If I sat down with you and I said, Give me 20 minutes and come up with a plan to keep yourself from walking down this addictive road. I bet you could come up with a pretty good plan that I wouldn't even have to tell you what to do. You just do it. Because the funny thing is, our heart is deceitful enough to get us down this lustful path. I bet our brain is smart enough to show us how to stop ourselves from going down that path. The question is, can you admit that you have a problem? Can you admit that it's impacting your relationship with God and with other people? And will you take the steps necessary? If you'd like to talk to me about taking some steps, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to connect you with an older Christian that could pray with you and talk with you and walk through this with you. But you've got to be serious. If you're not serious enough to cut off your hand, then you're not serious enough. And this will continue on in your life. It just will. If you could say, I'd rather lose my eyes than do this anymore, then we're getting somewhere. You take drastic measures. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is the idea I just shared a second ago. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. This, this, this temptation is not the super temptation that you will never get rid of. It's, it's common. It's common. It's like, it's like God, is, God is demeaning the power of temptation in your life. Yes, it's strong, but it's common. And God is faithful. He will not allow, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Either you believe that as a promise from an all-powerful God, or you're just going to keep doing the normal thing you always do this week. Either you believe that verse and you take action knowing that he's living in you to help you and he'll give you the wisdom to put up some boundaries in your life or you're not going to believe that or you don't love him enough. Okay. I want to close with um, a word for parents. Um, These six points... Uh, came from Josh McDowell's article, Fight the New... No, not Fight the New Drug. Uh, just one click away. And I just want to repeat them here because, parents, I feel the weight of this. I do. So when the school sends home computers, I sent Derek's back to put accountability software on it. I don't know if I'm the only parent to do that, but I did it. Because can't, we can't have this. We just can't have it. We've got to protect our kids until they're old enough to make their own Christ-exalting decisions. And even then, we need help. Number one, we'll do these fairly fast, hopefully. Parents, please take the initiative. Take the initiative. You need to be the one to go to your kids and talk about this. You, you need to be the one. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. We live in a day and age where if kids want to find something out, they'll just Google it. So you need to get there first. You must get there first. And if you don't, you bear some responsibility in this. A lot of responsibility in this. Let me put it that way. Number two, get knowledge, get educated. Uh, knowledge, educated, whatever word you want to use there. Um, I've given you two or three websites that have information, good, solid information, research. You could read any one of those three websites at the end of this and you will come away empowered to talk about this intelligently, to understand the damaging things that it does to us and what you can do to stop it. I've given you lots of I've given you more resources than you really need. You probably only need one website to help you. I've given you three or four. You need to learn and you need to know how your kids are facing this. You need to know that in the classroom a kid can say, "Hey, look at this screen and they might see something." I'm not saying that as conjecture. I say it because I've already heard it, okay? I say it because it's a fact. They say, look at this, and the kid looks over, and there it is. You need to know what's going on. Number three, you need to model the truth. Model the truth. My kids know that not only do they have filters on all their devices, but it's on mine as well. 
It's on mine as well. And so they, they can use my phone or they can look at my laptop and, and they can see that. They know that. It's there. I don't have the password for it. My wife does. You know, it's there. You model it. And, and you don't want your kids to, you know, they come in and I've had this experience going to somebody's house, having dinner with a Christian family. I'm not talking about anybody up here, but you see the movies that they're watching, and, and you know some of those things are things that I'm not watching because I know what's in them. I know what's in them. I, have, uh, I probably could have given you the um, Focus on the Family plugged in, that, that app I have on my phone. Man, you go to get a movie, I got plugged in on my phone. I just pull it out, get it out. It tells me what's in a movie before I rent it, before I check out of the library. You know, there it is. And when you model this and when you say it's not good for dad to watch either, Kids will remember that. If they think that they're going to turn 18 or 20 and suddenly they get to watch all those R-rated movies, you've lost. You've lost. I, I know not every R-rated movie has lustful content. I understand that, okay? I'm just saying in general. In general. Model the truth. Number, number four Teach in the context of relationship. When you teach your kids, you, you take your son aside. You take your daughter aside. You talk about it. It's from dad to son. It's from mother to son. And, and you talk about these things as a family. Right? It's, it's a relational thing. It's not coming down from on high and you better not do this. You know, it, it's not that I'm going to ground you forever if I ever hear. You know, it's... I love you. I want the best for you. As a parent, I'd be a bad parent if I didn't deal with this stuff. If I didn't talk to you about this. You do it in relationship. Out of love. And you show love. However that looks, but you show it. Number five, uh, no question is off limits. No questions off limits. I'm so thankful, um, I'll use my boys, I didn't tell them I was going to mention them today, but I'm so thankful that, that they've already asked me questions, like, what about this, what about that? I heard a kid say this. There's some shocking things that I hear. But I'm so glad that they know mom and dad aren't going to freak out about it, we're just going to talk about it. No questions too hard. And if it makes you uncomfortable, if it makes you blush, you're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to get over it. Number six, start young. Start young. Um, there's different levels of conversations you need to have at different ages, you know, depending on their development and what they're seeing and hearing. But when they're young, there's always the chance they're going to see something, you know. Because it might not even be your kids. It might be when you go to relatives' houses. It's the cousins that are pulling out their stuff and saying, hey, look at this phone. Look at this iPod. See this? You know? Do your kids know what to do when they first see something? Because statistics say kids are seeing it earlier and earlier. You know, even at eight years old, kids are seeing this stuff. Do they know what to do if they see something they shouldn't be seeing? Have you taught them what to do? You start young. Because 
you may not even have an online connection in your home. You may not own a TV, for goodness sake. But somebody else does. And that's where we've got to start young. And then I would add seventh to this. I think we've got to have a number seven. I love McDowell. By the way, would, you, would all of you parents please go onto YouTube and watch his Founders Week video? Please, I'm asking you to do that. It will shock you. It will appall you. You will not feel good when it's over. But I imagine you will feel convicted and determined to do something as a parent. Please watch it. Um, the seventh is uh, what, set up boundaries. Set up boundaries. If you have any devices in your home that don't have strong accountability software where you know what's going on on that, get it. If you have video game stuff in your home that has a Wi-Fi connection, look at it. Look at everything you've got. I've heard some Christians say, even Christians that I respect, I've heard them say, well, you've come to a point in your faith where you don't need that, those boundaries in your own life. I didn't bring the verse with me this morning. I think it's in Ephesians where it talks about our flesh being corrupted. I wish I had the verse right here. I was reading it recently though. But if, our, if my flesh is being corrupted, that's a, it's, it's a present verb. Like it's currently corrupted. It's being corrupted. That means I may be growing in the faith, but my sin nature is still there and it's still corrupt. So I would challenge any Christian that says to me, I don't need that. I've grown. Be- that was my issue in my early years. Really? Okay. Um, this is good for us. It's good for us. Let me end with Hebrews 10.22. Worship team, you could come up and lead us in a closing meditation on this. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I see the word body in there and that God is washing our bodies clean. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you're washed. You're washed. Now you get to live clean as well. If you're here and you don't know that and you've never accepted Christ's forgiveness, would you not walk out of here without considering that? There, there's no condemnation here, you know? Jesus said, you'll go to hell for lust, right? And that's true. Or, the better plan is, wash your body. Come to Jesus and say, forgive me. And the promise is, he'll cleanse you from the guilty conscience. And he'll make you clean. That's the hope we have. That's the message we have. All of, all of my anxious thoughts on this and all of my... All of my uh, temptations on this, God's forgiveness and grace overwhelm all those things. If I had to preach on this topic from some sort of holy, never had an issue with it, well, of course not. Who could stand up here and talk about this issue? 
but I can because the conscience is clean, because I've been washed, because I'm walking in God's will. And I pray that you do too. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray first of all for our children.